0: But here's my first question do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank
1: did you know that bill clinton dropped more bombs on kosovo the day of the columbine massacre than any other day of the war hello and welcome to michael and us a depressing, nostalgic journey through the films of Michael Moore. I'm Will Sloan. With me, as always, Luke Savage. So uh, we just watched the big one, uh, Michael Moore. <laughs> Dear God, just I, it's it's. I mean, <laughs> you guys should know. I mean, it's like it's nearly one AM.
2: What are we doing on on? And you know, in the last episode. We were talking about uh, how it was Sunday night, and we were watching uh, we were watching Canadian bacon, and I remember saying specifically, "Can you imagine if we wasted a Friday night doing this?" <laughs> but sure enough, less than a week later, Will came over, and uh, at at 10 p.m. and uh, and we did. Uh, Michael Moore is the big one, so you yeah. Know, and like,
1: I, I I was thinking, what could be worse than watching Canadian bacon? What could be a less rele- on, a, on a Sunday night
2: watching the yeah. big one on a Friday night? Yeah,
1: what could be less relevant to us <laughs> just today than Canadian but, bacon? But but
2: of course, all great art requires suffering, and I think <laughs> uh, and I think we're gonna prove that. Okay, uh, <laughs> um, first of all,
1: we're recording this episode a week before it comes out, so we can't get too topical here. Mm. I mean, I assume that by the time you hear this. Bernie Sanders will have clinched the nomination. <laughs> so, yeah, we watched The Big One, which um, came out in 1997. Incredibly, this was Michael Moore's first documentary film since Roger and Me in 1989. In the years between, he did a TV show called TV Nation, which I think only ran one which, season. Which I have never seen, which I don't think anyone's ever seen. Yeah, um, I don't think it's on DVD or it's easily available anywhere. Um, Michael, I know you're listening. If if it's uh, feel free to send us a copy. Yeah, we'd love to talk about it. Uh, he made uh, the well received Canadian bacon, and he wrote a book called Downsize This, which is very relevant because this documentary, his, Michael Moore's first documentary since Roger and Me, is about him on a book tour plugging his book Downsize This, um, which I think is a bit of a come down. Honestly, mm-hmm. is a less interesting topic for a documentary than the closure of the auto planets in Flint.
2: <laughs> right. And I would say this film was not as difficult to watch or as bad as I remembered because we have actually watched this once before, uh, probably in the last two or three years. Uh-huh. Um, but it is sort of, to some extent, a le- I would say it's kind of like a fusion of Slacker Uprising and Roger and Me, in mm-hmm. a way. It, it, has, it has its moments. It, it's dealing with a lot of the same themes that Roger and Me is dealing with, but it's Michael Moore on a book tour. So having done a film about these issues specifically in Flint, Michigan, he's now showing us that, you know, these things are happening at the the height
1: of the Clinton era, uh, all across the United States. Before we talk about this movie, I think we need to talk about the trailer for this movie, Absolutely, which is, uh, just an astonishing document. <laughs> um, so this movie was released by Miramax, um, which of course at the time was run by the legendary showman, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and, Harvey Weinstein seems to have made the decision to not market this film as a documentary, to instead market it as well okay, so the trailer. How do I describe the trailer? The trailer has We're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna play some audio so you guys can hear it, but the, the trailer,
2: you really have to see it to believe it.
1: Gentlemen, we have never
0: seen better times. Profits are up 170%, and executive salaries are up two hundred and fifty percent. I did not call you all here today merely to celebrate our collective success at the expense of the American workers. We have one very big problem.
2: It has, um, it's in a corporate boardroom and there are a bunch of bunch of cartoon capitalists sitting it's around.
1: Like, Gentlemen! A bunch of <laughs> Mr. Burnses, you know. Our profits have never been higher, but unfortunately, <laughs> one man stands <laughs> between us and...
0: For working Americans, he is the best, last, and only
1: line of defense. We must stop him. The trailer is a takeoff of Men in Black, so you see Michael Moore put on the suit and the glasses, and he comes out and he says,
0: Hey, I make this look good.
1: I make this look good, and he's got a big (laughs) men in black style (laughs) like space laser (laughs) that he aims at them. He's like, oh boys, which you keeps raising the price of popcorn?
0: (laughs) They tell big lies. They order big layoffs. They make big profits. But now their biggest nightmare is back in town. Oh by the way, which one of you boys keeps raising the price of movie tickets? Michael Moore, the big one. Protecting the earth from the scum of corporate America.
1: And then it ends with Michael yeah, Moore. He sh-
2: he sh- then he shoots a guy. He
1: actually, yeah, yeah, he does, which I think is wrong. Yeah. Um, violence is never acceptable. And I think Michael Moore should be ashamed of himself advocating violence. Um, Shame. Anyway, uh, and then there's a there's a tagline that's like, they make big profits. They tell big lies. <laughs> but... But one man. I don't know. <laughs> some stupid... And then it ends with, Michael Moore is the big one. And mm-hmm. I think if if you were just a regular multiplex goer, and maybe your memory of Roger and me wasn't that great, or you'd never seen it, you would just think, oh, this is like, I don't know who Michael Moore is, but he must be a Chris Farley type.
2: Yeah. its I don't think you get a sense of the movie from this trailer. And I think that's understandable, because there's not a lot here. This no. barely qualifies as a movie, I think. Yeah. Um... It is, it is better than Slacker Uprising that we did the first episode. Well, about.
1: yeah. <laughs> it, well, I mean,
2: which isn't saying much, but um, I mean, I actually had a better time watching the movie this week than watching Canadian Bacon last week.
1: Well, wow. those are bold words. Well, Can- I'm not ready to say that, honestly. Canadian
2: Bacon was pretty flat. I mean, we did get a little bit distracted towards the end of this. Uh, we, were, uh, we were talking about, you know, current events. We were looking at Twitter. But, I mean, that's partly because... Uh, like Slacker Uprising, so much of this film is repetitive. You know, there's the same kind of two or three things that happen. So there are scenes where Michael Moore deals with his kind of annoying publicist, who's portrayed as a bit of, I think, not unfairly, as a bit of a corporate shill.
1: So there, he has several publicists. He's going on a book tour. But there's
2: one in particular that keeps appearing that he, yeah, you know, his liaison
1: fun. in whatever city he's in, who whose responsibility it is to drive him you know to whatever signing or whatever yeah. interviews he has to do mm-hmm. um i mean i don't know uh, okay so that's one straight. that's, that's one thing
2: let's before we talk about that let's go through all this, the different bits of the movie so the other is michael moore will have arrived in a town and you know his book tour always magically seems to coincide with like a major plant closure or something mm-hmm. which um i don't know how to explain that except i would guess that moore did what he has been frequently accused of doing which is uh sort of torquing the timeline a little bit and and things like that i wouldn't be surprised but um so you know there'll be scenes where he's talking to workers that uh, there's one that's a chocolate bar factory um there's a if it's not a plant closure it'll be there's a bookstore where uh the workers are trying to unionize so there are scenes like that there's another scene where He kind of storms uh some midwestern state legislature we're too lazy to figure out which one it was and demands to see the republican governor so and that's the other uh that's that's the other component of the movie which is uh which is i think a, a classic trope in the uh in the michael moore uh cinematic corpus which is him having these these very uh staged exchanges with sort of middle managers either either uh public either either for public officials or for corporations and saying like i want to see the governor i want to see the ceo and then having these really passive-aggressive
1: exchanges with him. And there's always some kind of... Begin with the
2: gag and end with him being thrown out.
1: There's some kind of performance art element to it where he'll come with one of those big lottery checks and it'll right. be for 65 cents. And he'll be like, wow, I saw you downsized. This is 65 cents. This to pay for the first hour of the
2: next Mexican worker you hire. Or right. Whatever. And yeah.
1: there's some, yeah, as you said, middle management schlub who is kind of his stooge, right. his foil in all these bits, who's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm. well, you're going you're gonna to have to leave now, sir. And
2: and these scenes, as in, Ro- I think in the Roger and Me podcast, we also pointed this out. Like these scenes are are truly excruciating. I mean, they're really, for me anyway. I don't know how you feel, but I think they're really difficult to watch. And especially when you see uh, enough of them, they just they just feel painful.
1: Well, it's because it's like a prank show where every prank turns out to be exactly the same. Yeah, which is he goes into a place and shocker, the not very powerful person he's talking to doesn't have anything to say to him and he gets kicked out who
2: probably you know in many of these situations wouldn't even have the power to get him a meeting with the ceo Mm -hmm. even if you know even if they wanted to and i mean
1: if these people got laid off they'd be the heroes of the film yeah but yeah but because and i mean i don't know michael moore might call them the good germans or something right i mean it's one thing we see him at the governor's office and he's having a kind of stupid argument with the governor's press secretary i feel like the pre- governor's press secretary is fair game because it's, yeah. it's literally his job to deal with people like michael moore absolutely um and he's like the propaganda arm right for the governor um what it's, if these middle managers
2: at like a mid-sized plant in like des moines or something it just feels a little
1: bit it feels a little cheap to or, me. or just like the security guards yeah and, I, yeah, as a piece of performance art, I feel his his gimmicky little stunts are funnier when you hear about them than they are yeah. when you actually have to sit there and watch them. When, when you're
2: subjected to them repeatedly over the course of an hour and a half, or in our case, many hours since we're watching all the Michael Moore <laughs> films. Um, and it's
1: because they all play out exactly the same way.
2: Yeah, um. yeah. But there are, I think there are moments in this film, the best moments to me as it, as in Roger and Me are when you're hearing from, when Michael Moore's not talking and you're hearing from workers at these plants that, are, that have closed. You know, the best moments for me in Roger and Me are where, you know, you actually hear from the auto workers, the ex auto workers, and you hear them like unloading on Roger Smith or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sa- same within this film, like there's a chocolate bar factory and some of the people he's talking to have been working there for 15 years, 20 years. There's a woman who's working there for 50 years. And you know, the plant just suddenly closes one day. The, you know, the backdrop to the film is the 96 presidential election. So a lot of it, I think, was filmed before the election, even though it came out in 97. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who are saying, well, what what kind of a choice is this? You know, this is a, you know, I, I don't care. Uh, who gets it? And I think that... I'm not going to go as far as say this film is a historical document, but I do think it's interesting to, given that I would say the kind of consensus view of of the mid to late Clinton era is that you know it was uh, it was kind of you know the end of history, the mm-hmm. markets were booming and things. But what was really happening was that uh, there was a, a major transformation. There's the end of a major transformation of the American economy, which had begun in the late 1970s. Away from these kind of traditional manufacturing, uh, a lot of midwestern, especially midwestern uh, towns and cities, but also uh, cities elsewhere. Uh, away from that and towards you know tech and things like that. There was a dot com mm-hmm. boom and towards finance as well. So the whole uh, economic makeup of the country changed in the space. You know, not not a uh, not a, not exactly a very long time. And so beneath the kind of, I guess, what was until the until the Lewinsky thing, what was a pretty glamorous veneer for the United States, there was actually a lot of really uh, ugly things going on. And it is, uh, you know, I think the moments where Michael Moore's not talking and when you're hearing mm. from people who, you know, just, just have these livelihoods which are being destroyed because some administrator or bureaucrat at a head office, probably in New York or Washington, uh, decided while looking at a balance sheet after a shareholder meeting while well, we're going to relocate from uh what's the what's the poorest town in america that he visits or the, oh, the God, i've already forgot. forgotten the name but it's yeah. it yeah it, there's a tiny visits it's like rockford or something M- yeah money magazine calls it the
1: worst city in after
2: america. after calling flint that in in 89 um so you know like you know some bureaucrat decides we're gonna move uh we're gonna move operations from rockford to you know, Mexico or or China or, or Singapore or rather the, the Philippines or something like that. And uh, I I like the moments where you know I feel like where Michael Moore is talking to these people, that is actually documentary,
1: and so much of the rest of it is just performance. I think it's interesting how um, non ideological the people he talks to are. Right. I mean, the, the consensus among the people he talks to is, well, who cares about this election? I mean, they're right. they're, they're the same, mm. and uh, there's no one to vote for. Mm. I think this movie came at a time when it seemed like, okay, you know, capitalism was, is the way uh, the the Soviet Empire is gone. This is the only system that works and it's working because the economy is doing so great. Right. Um, and really there was no, there really was no counter narrative to that. Mm. I mean, in this movie, we see that the 96 election was the lowest turnout. That's in, right. Like
2: uh, up, up. up More calls it the lowest turnout in history, and I think it's the, actually the lowest. Wikipedia tells us that it's the lowest since 1924 in a presidential election, and
1: and it might it, it might just it's depend like on the 40, fact that 49. But the the population of America is yeah, so much bigger. That's in right, the 90s. and also
2: uh, who you know with. Uh, I mean I don't know about in 1924 who you know if there was fully universal mm-hmm. suffrage. It's you know, these things are hard to measure, but it was it was below 50%, which meant mm-hmm. that like 100 million eligible voters didn't vote. The turnout actually fell mm-hmm. in the subsequent um, subsequent election,
1: which mm-hmm. which is crazy. I guess the stakes didn't feel very high because you know, both parties seemed like the same and everything was doing well and there was no evil empire to crush. Uh, but also I don't know, for people who were working at these plants and were getting laid off, it must have just seemed hopeless because what they were being told was that there's only one ideology that's possible. There's only one system that's possible. Right. If you got laid off, well, you know, you should shit out of luck because there's no other possible way.
2: Right, and I mean, all the people who, you know, the you when, when he gets in with the CEO of Nike, which is probably the one and only CEO that, that uh, Moore ever gets in to talk to, um, and, you know, the other people who... Uh, who are, who are justifying the, the closures and things and the outsourcing, the downsizing? They always have these totally non-ideological reasons, right? They're just like, mm-hmm. well, we have to remain competitive. There's a real um, solipsistic logic to this, uh, to these, to these kind of closures. These companies, which sort of claim that there's a social contract with their workers, but then as soon as, even if they're profitable, as soon as they see an opportunity to make more profits, they you know they leave, and then they pretend like, mm-hmm. well, there never really was a social contract to begin with, because this is capitalism, and this is how it works.
0: You know, Mr. Keyes, the chairman. I do. Yes. Well, I would like to present him with a check, a little gift for me, going going away present. Hi. How are you Hi. doing? I'm Michael Moore. Hi, Michael. Hi. I just brought a little present here for you. Okay. Eighty cents uh, to pay the first Mexican worker for the first hour of work. This is what you'll be paying Mexicans down there. Eighty cents an hour, and uh, just to help out, you know, because you know. I guess you're hitting, you have hard, you've had hard times here, right? Uh, you've only no, made... No, we
1: haven't had hard times.
0: No, no, you've only made a half a billion dollars in the last three years in profits. Yeah, we, we our company is reasonably successful and well, we're the, committed to continuing to be successful. Then why would you leave Milwaukee if you're successful? Because we need to remain competitive in our businesses, so... You mean you Thanks want to be more successful, coming. right? We need to continue to be successful, that's right. And the families here who will lose their jobs? Families who are here will leave their jobs. We're going to do the best we can to help them out in making the transition to where Mexico or right.
1: Most of the co- the companies that he's visiting in this movie are making profits in the billions, yeah. and they've just outsourced because they can make even more. Right, elsewhere. just like just like
2: GM in uh, in Roger and Me, uh,
1: which is interesting. Yeah, um, I-, I think what's not interesting so. I mean, him, Michael Moore going to these companies with, you know, a big check for 67 cents is one thing. But uh, there's a scene late in this movie. um, So, oh my God, he's just such a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) 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 Like, uh, our our recurring um, joke of the movie is that There were
2: were air quotes around jokes (laughs) then.
1: The publisher's liaison is always, like, escorting him from from interviews to the book signing, whatever.
2: She's uncomfortable with the ideological content of the book, and she's uncomfortable with the fact that...
1: Michael Moore's a bit of a
2: crazy (laughs) guy, you know? He's he's not a traditional... He keeps adding... Like, he's not a traditional... uh, Author that you take on tour, he keeps adding dates. She calls it a fly by the seat of yeah. your pants tour. He keeps
1: deciding on a whim, I guess, because he's got a camera there to right. go visit Nike headquarters. And she and she's she's in the scene where he tries to storm the Republican
2: governor's office. She stands like in the atrium of the of the uh, state house, and she tells the camera, "Well, he's actually, you know, a friend, and and I don't want to be seen uh-huh. here."
1: So, I mean, this is all about. It's like a you know, it's like the slobs against the snobs. Yeah. It's like Michael Moore, you know, uh boy, the the book publishers just don't know what to do with a rebel like this guy right. <laughs> when in reality, like my sympathies are with this poor woman who has to escort him yeah. from the airport to the book signing yeah. and has now been in shanghaied into this stupid like <laughs> piece of performance art he's doing at the governor's office.
2: So th- this peaks in a scene late in the movie, which Wh- is which is I, really I, difficult to watch. I think
1: the scene could it be the worst scene in a Michael Moore movie? That's—I uh, mean, it's a good question. I mean, we haven't seen them all yet, so uh, no, we'll have we, to, we, well, we've we have seen, seen them, all. them all. But <laughs> I mean, not for this podcast. Um, <laughs> so he's—he's uh, he's at a book signing, and Michael Moore tells the security guard that his liaison from the publisher's office goes to get him a drink, and uh, Michael Moore whispers to the security guard. He shows the security guard a picture of this woman and says. This woman's been stalking me. Um, I don't want her here. I don't want her if, anywhere near if me. If you see her, can you just take her out? And so then, of course, when she comes back with with his coffee, Hold, holding his drink, um, the security guard escorts her out, and she's like, what? What, what, "What? What's going on?"
2: She's freaked out. Yeah, she's freaked out. He's understand? like, the the guard says, "Like, put your drinks down. Put them down here, ma'am." She escorts him out, and then Michael Moore. We see Michael Moore back at the table. He's and,
1: laughing with all of his he's like sycophants. Like, um, and he's like okay i guess we better tell the guard it was it's a, a, joke. Just a joke and like what is the April joke fools. what is the joke there i mean uh really i mean this is like you know when pauline kale was talking about how too so much of roger and me was about him making fun of working people and but using his liberalism as a shield to right. make people think that they were politically correct to laugh at these people i mean that's what this is yeah like this movie much more so than roger and me i think I, you know, we should say like through a lot of this film actually
2: Moore is is he's much better than he is in Slacker Uprising. He's his earnestness seems a lot more genuine. He's funnier when he's doing these sort of stand up routines, right. uh when he's launching his, his book, his jokes, uh while I would not say anything as rash is that they're funny, like they're <laughs> they are they are better than the hack garbage that he that he does in Slacker Uprising. And he's
1: not sanctimonious. No, um, or he's not as sanctimonious. His the, the the persona
2: that he's doing feels less like a persona and more like, you know, and more like him just being authentically who he is. Well, and he at times feels, it's effective.
1: Yeah, he feels like he's trying to be more like a Mark Twain type, kind of this uh ashock satirist, right. rather than in 2004 slacker uprising when he's more like a demagogue he's got a messiah complex
2: and he's yeah. being weird yeah but this scene i mean is is really an exception to that and is is i mean i think we'll have to come back to like i'd like to bookmark the question as to whether this is the worst scene in a michael okay Moore actually
1: i am actually gonna contradict myself because the actual worst scene in a michael Moore <laughs> movie comes earlier in this film <laughs> you know what i'm thinking of which is when so he's signing at this he's doing a book signing at this city that is According to Money Magazine, the worst city in America. I think it's Rockford. Rockford. Um, And he's signing at a media play, which is kind of like a future shop type store that's out of business. But anyway, the, the woman working at the media play who's kind of manning his table is kind of like oh well you know i heard from uh the publisher i heard from random house that uh only three percent of the people who see you speak buy your book how do you like that <laughs> and michael moore is like oh yeah which where'd, where'd you hear that oh i don't know i heard it from the publisher seems you're not selling very many books and uh clearly it's a woman who i guess doesn't agree with michael moore's politics who just doesn't like him she's, and, she's
2: a dull voter you right know? so <laughs> she just she
1: just wants to piss him off and then from that, we cut to Michael Moore talking to somebody who actually works at Random House and is like, "Oh no, why? Well, look at these numbers. You're selling all sorts of books." And then, and I think, well, great. Thanks for that rebuttal to this woman who works at the Media Play in Rockford who, did, who didn't, who sort of mildly didn't like your, you yeah. know, didn't like your shtick. Like, yeah. way to go after the targets that matter.
2: Yeah, it's it's a scene that you know,
1: it, it really, like, why are we seeing this? And then, but then the scene gets even better because. <laughs> michael moore learns that a celebrity lives in town it's one of the people from the band cheap trick and he's like i can't remember his name so let's just say his name is bob okay and, sure bob from cheap Trick. bob from cheap trick and he and he goes um uh, uh I, I hear i hear bob from cheap Trick lives in town and oh he's out of town now yeah he's out of town how do you know that oh i know I, I get told these things right and then the next shot is him knocking on he the goes up
2: to some door
1: and he knocks, knocks on the on door it. and then the next shot is him playing guitar he's with bob out. from cheap trick bob from cheap trick <laughs> who has
2: facial hair that i really think should be illegal in terrible in the 90s and in all other decades and before then, and
1: after and then so so first of all this scene he's just like he's really owned this woman who works at the media play in right. Rockford. Okay, so he's hanging out with this uh, this B stream like, rock star. It, it, it's like this, like a like a boss. Yes, this woman who works at media play <laughs> will not stop me, a famous person, from meeting another famous person in Rockford. <laughs> and, and so then, as if it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> Michael Moore and this guy from Cheap Trick start playing Bob Dylan songs and we we have to listen to Michael Moore do his Bob Dylan impression.
2: And it's not like a Bob Dylan impression. You, you, you start to hear it and you think, you know, like when somebody has a guitar and they only know three chords and they do like a little bit of a Bob Dylan impression or something and it only lasts for like five seconds and everyone has a quick laugh. This is not that. This is him playing like the whole of the times they are changing in this kind of nasally right. fake Bob Dylan voice and it is uh it is I mean I feel like now we've named the three worst scenes in, in any Michael Moore film
0: come senators congressmen please heed the call don't stand in the doorways don't block her the hall. for he who has stalled is he who is forget the movie crap come on be a dylan on the road baby i don't know how
1: it can actually get any i mean i'm trying to think of well i don't know bullying for columbine has plenty of bad scenes like the dick clark scene but 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 i think right now i'm gonna bet my badge that that this is the worst scene in a michael moore film
2: and again it's just like the scene with uh you know the woman who mildly dislikes michael moore at this tiny you know branch of some like forgotten chain in like a little town like uh you know it's like we don't we don't need to see this you know right. why why is michael moore you know th- this is uh this is the part of moore's uh, psyche where he thinks he is like a rock star and he's on a it's like he thinks he's making a tour film <laughs> and you know throughout throughout it uh, there are uh, you know he, th- he thinks he's like um you know, Stuart Copeland with uh, everyone stares the police inside out or Bob Dylan, don't look back or something. <laughs> yeah. And he's because and yeah. uh, because the, there's all these scenes like there's all these Segway things where it'll be like him on a plane and and people are coming up to him and talking to him and there's like shots of the plane landing and there's all this kind of Americana like hmm. I don't know if we actually hear the Steve Miller band in this movie, <laughs> but it's that it's that kind of thing. And the closing track at the end of the movie is Johnny Cash. I've been
1: everywhere. But you know Uh, the thing about Michael Moore is he's kind of humble too, you know. (laughs) So like (laughs) early in the movie, we see him getting onto business class while his um, his his crew his crew have to go to coach, and he makes kind of a joke about it. He's like, "Ha, I'm here in business class. Like, I guess it's I guess it's uh,
2: I guess it's full back there, so I got to sit up here." uh." Yeah.
1: Um. So so he's again he's a man of the people. (laughs) That that's uh, if I can come back to that scene in Rockford. Um i mean it, it is in true. some way i feel like we've never left <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's truly an incredible scene because before that bullshit with him getting into a fight with the woman who works at media play <laughs> so before that we see um one of the people who's getting her book signed by michael moore just got laid off right from whatever factory she works at and she's like actually crying and she's She's talking about how you know how, how terrible it is, she doesn't know what she's gonna do, but thank you, Michael Moore. He, for, he hugs her. He hugs her, and you think, oh, this is you know, this is really nice. And you think, well, Michael Moore at this time again, Clinton was president, the go-go economy, everything was great, end of history. But Michael Moore was the only person, well, maybe not the only person, but one of the few people in the mainstream media talking about these sorts of issues.
2: Yeah, and it is it is a, it is a strange scene because You gotta think, you know, the turnout at this event's not huge, but you gotta think in a town like that, the fact that there's sort of even 50 or 100 people who know about this book. And I mean, this lady who's just been laid off that afternoon, and her Michael Moore as a cultural commodity is potent enough that her her instinct is like i'm gonna go see michael moore and and he'll understand this
1: yeah and you think and you're almost sympathetic to michael moore too because you think well maybe this is self-serving maybe he wants to show himself in his documentary going to the 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 so-called worst town in america caring for people but on the other hand he actually did inconvenience a lot of people so that he could go to that town and see those people yeah like it was it was hard for him to Mm -hmm. go to that town uh, because it's not traditional book tour territory. That's right. So in some way, you have to give him credit for that. And then yeah. he fucking spoils it by having him getting into this stupid fight with the woman who works at Media Play, yeah. who, I mean, if she got laid off the next day, well, she'd be probably a hero to him. Yeah, suddenly she's the uh, she's a great
2: protagonist of the working class.
1: Instead, I mean, of all the people who Michael Moore picks a fight with in this movie, her, o- her only crime is saying that... Um, The guy from Cheap Trick isn't in town and telling him his book isn't selling very well.
2: I think, I mean, you know, now that we're, now that we're, you know, watching this movie is one thing, kind of talking, talking (laughs) about it, laying it all out. It really is a strange thing, isn't
1: it? Yeah. It's like, why did he make this movie? I'm not sure. But it's, you know... Because if he actually, if this movie actually was about how plants are closing in America... And it's not about that. It's categorically not about It's only, that. if it's about that, it's maybe 40% about yeah, that. And yeah. it's 60% about him going on a book tour mm-hmm. and telling his dumb jokes on stage and being yeah. a man of the people.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if, if he was going to do a more sincere film about that kind of thing, there would have been more scenes with... You know, we, we see the we see these kind of workers who come with them to like protest the Republican governor, but uh, they're sort of props. I mean, the scenes have right. a certain power to them, but those those people are sort of props. Or the people outside factories. It would be nice to hear about. You know, if you, like I said before, there's a there's a dichotomy in his films between performance and documentary. And he often leans much heavier towards the performance. And if he was doing documentary, we'd, we'd learn more about these people's lives. And it wouldn't just be in a, mm-hmm. in a in a short clip of Michael Moore talking to some people at a diner
1: mm-hmm. who, are, who are like, you know, the economy stinks, you know, yeah. I don't have anyone to vote for. Because the way he depicts them, they are the most generic people he could... Right. He presents them in the most generic way possible. That's true. And there, And, you know, like I've said, there is a power to what they say. But they are,
2: in a way, sort of, I mean, they're sort of humanized, but they don't have any particularity to them. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, they're not people who, if he was doing genuine documentary, it would be possible to
1: imagine these people outside of the context of a Michael Moore film. Yeah. And it's not. That's what's so great about Roger and me, when you see the woman, the Pets or Meat Lady. Right, exactly. Or you see um, Sheriff Fred. um, Right. Like, these are- Or
2: Or the color, the color guru or whatever. Yeah. These are real
1: people. So yeah, what else is there to say, really? Well,
2: I, so I, I should say I found, you know, the I found this film an interesting, you know, unintentionally an interesting document of just the late 90s, and I thought it was interesting that Ross Perot didn't really come up in this movie, hmm. because he did capitalize a lot on this kind of soft anti-globalization, this feeling that jobs were being outsourced. I mean, he you know, he wasn't a radical figure, but sort of like Donald Trump, he capitalized on this protectionist sentiment um which you know ha- had a certain it was anti-free trade but because it but only in the sense it was like cloaked in like american nationalism mm-hmm. and stuff like that which trump is trump is i think very much riding that same kind of sentiment and i'm not really sure why Moore didn't mention that because it's a major part of the political context here mm. but uh perhaps that complicated things too much yeah i'm not sure but, it,
1: it was fun, by the way, hearing certain names from the '90s. Uh, who, I mean, you and me, we <laughs> like we were kids in the '90s. So when he talks about people like Pat Buchanan, Jesse Helms, and, and Jesse Helms, it's like I don't really know who they. It's are. It's like I know that name, but you know, I, I know mean, I Pat know
2: Buchanan, that, and I know who that is just from watching old C-SPAN
1: videos. I know that so Pat Buchanan that. is like kind of an odious. Yeah far right figure yeah. i i honestly have no idea who jesse helms is no maybe except i, I know the name right yeah i don't or know we see we see congressman bob dornan in, the, in this <laughs> film and i don't know it's just kind of interesting hearing the names of these these people who once meant something yeah it's probably like how in 20 years from now people will see a documentary and herman cain's name will come up right of course yeah yeah herman cain or like rick perry yeah mike huckabee yeah things yeah. like that uh martin o'malley yeah um do you want to talk about the interview with Phil Knight, the uh, CEO of Nike?
2: Right. So th- this is a major uh, part of the
1: film and it's the climax it's of the, the film. It's the climax
2: of the film. It's impossible to tell how long the actual interview went on for and there there are some signs that this is there there there's some editing. The interaction could be an hour or it could be 15 minutes. It's mm-hmm. unclear. But Michael Moore someone who made his first film about you know around this kind of uh slightly insufferable gag about trying to see the ceo of of gm and and Mm. you know interrogate him does actually get to see uh, see a, a real ceo who sits down with him who's the ceo of nike
1: and what happens will well we don't see much of it they have a short not particularly satisfying conversation where he raises the point that um you've got this you got these nike factories in where is it thailand uh, I think it's Indonesia. Yeah. You've got these Nike factories in Indonesia where you're paying people fifty cents an hour, and you're and there's a government you're complicit, that's implicated with, in genocide. Yeah, in and, East y- Timor, and, and they're and you're su- supported by them. And Phil Knight's main point is that uh, he doesn't think people in America would actually want to make shoes. And so then Michael Moore shows. He's shot a rally in Flint, Michigan, of people saying, we'll "Yes, take, we'll take the job. We, we would yeah. love a factory in Flint, mm-hmm. and Phil Knight sort of laughs it off as mm-hmm. like, "Ah, well, you know, I mean, they they say that, but I, I actually I actually don't think they'd want to work in mm-hmm. a factory." And- He's
2: sort of reduced to argue to defending uh, his company's business practices by saying that I mean, he keeps insisting that there's some cultural pathology in the United States against making shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is a pretty thin talking point. But what's kind of amazing about the scene is that the guy deals with more differently than the various other people that he has the same conversations with in in his films. I mean, he he keeps laughing. He tries to keep it. Uh, Light humored, and we were speculating during the film as to why this guy even entertained more in the first place. Well, it's
1: interesting. Uh, Nike actually, according to this documentary, reached out to Michael Moore. Michael Moore was doing uh, a radio interview right. in the area, and I guess he was probably in every interview since it was the city where Nike uh, has its head office. He was probably bad mouthing Nike at every stop and Nike was probably like well you know let's uh, let's have a you know let's uh, maybe we can diffuse the situation right. and we can show kind of how cool and socially conscious we are by Having Michael Moore in, and we've got this hip president, and we'll all have a laugh. But they got more than they bargained for. Um, except they didn't except really, they because did. Phil because Knight knows what he's going to say. I think Phil Knight kind of got through the interview without breaking much of a sweat. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. And Moore again falls back on like his penchant for gags. He's he says he tries to make a bet with the guy about you know if if I win, you've got to create 500 Nike. Okay, well
1: foot. the the idea is he challenges Phil Knight to a foot race. Mm-hmm. And if, if, he also if, tries to get him to come to Indonesia with him. He gets to like, I have two tickets, yeah. we got our names on it.
0: I got, I got a little gift for you because i always come bearing gifts whenever I get to meet a CEO, which okay. I'll tell you isn't you that go. often. Then you don't have to take too many gifts. All right, okay. all right. No, no, no. This is this, this, this a good one. You'll like this one. I've got here two tickets, one in my name and one in your name for you and I to go to Indonesia together. All right. And you show me those factories. You explain this to me. right? right. I'll and show you what's data, going on true. Sunday. Oh no! Not a chance. Huh? Not a chance. No, no. But they're, they're transferable. I can change it to another day. No, I'll tell you. I'll Seriously, look at this, Michael Moore. I got it right here in your name here. And Phil No, Caroline. no. Look, at this. This go look at this. You and me on Singapore Airlines. No, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going It's a there. good airline. That's yeah, a great airline. Here, sit back down. We got to negotiate right. this deal.
1: But eventually, he gets Phil Knight to donate ten thousand dollars to uh, an education fund in Flint, which you know i guess i guess is good <laughs> i i think phil knight got got pretty easy out of the deal yeah um yeah. so uh i think that's all there is to say next week uh next week i, I
2: think we're getting you know, we're I think,
1: finally getting out of the weeds
2: yeah i mean you know we we started with slacker uprising which was you know a big uh which was which was a good way i think to start the podcast i went back to roger and me which is a real movie mm-hmm. And for the last two weeks, you know, we've been really in the, this is the dirge, this is the, <laughs> this is the stuff, you know, if this, we're scraping the bottom
1: of the barrel, if the barrel is Michael Moore's uh, catalog. But next week we're getting to stuff that we were alive and conscious to appreciate. That's right. And that came out and we saw it at the time. In theaters. And in theaters, and that was very important Mm-hmm. It's almost embarrassing to say, but was very important in our development as men and thinkers. <laughs> uh, well, you're not a thinker, according to Red Hart, of course. Oh God, let's not. <laughs> Sorry talk to bring that you. up.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. Will Will had a Will had an incident this week. Uh, uh. Well, but uh, I think that you know films like Bowling for Columbine, films like Fahrenheit 11 are you know the reasons why we want to do this podcast in the first place because we talk about these earlier films and. We weren't we weren't around for you know we weren't around really to experience the context in which they came out
1: mm-hmm.
2: whereas watching bowling for columbine watching fair 911 911 even watching sicko this is going to be kind of like reliving our early adolescence in a yeah. way and I think it's going to be really interesting to uh, to experience and it's going to be really interesting to relive that whole kind of bush era through through these films as uh you know, deeply problematic and inadequate as they are.
1: Mm-hmm. So, next week, bowling for Columbine. Tune in. Turns out Marilyn Manson's really smart. <laughs> See you next time.